I don't know. Have you ever scored from a corner, Karen? Have you ever taken a corner? I've never. Absolutely not. I only give them away. Okay, let's talk about the Irish bias. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. The News Round on Off The Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Now you're welcome along to Tuesday's Off The Ball. We will be across to Cheltenham, as you might imagine, for thoughts and reaction from day one, where in particular Rachel Blackmore and Honeysuckle stole the show. We have Brian O'Driscoll in studio after eight o'clock. And of course, it is a Champions League knockout evening in store. Manchester United against Atletico at Old Trafford. Myself and Dan McDonald will be in right across the football show. And there is, as you might imagine, plenty to discuss in the world of football besides... 53106, the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, good evening. Hello. Hey, yo. And he also gets the cheese board out for Cheltenham. Adrian Barry, hello. Uh, I don't, but hi, Joe. How's it going, Richie? Very well, very well. So did you watch Cheltenham day one, Adrian? What took your fancy? Nothing, Joe. It's, it, Cheltenham tends to bypass me in an unbelievable way. I did watch uh, Rachel Blackmore getting the job done earlier on, and it was amazing, and it was comprehensive in the end, but it's just the awkwardness of the timing of it. I'm so dedicated to my work, Joe, really, is the point I'm trying to yeah. make here. No, I hear you. I hear you. He was working everyone. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, you sure. Yeah. <laughs> Richard McCormick. Uh, it is it tough. did strike me as Rachel Blackmore was ready to go. Man, suddenly the pressure of it all. You know, it's just like the unbackable favourite. Everybody who's anybody is predicting Honeysuckle to win at a canter almost. And it seemed like a big old weight. And of course, she's been living with this for weeks and months. And I'm sure it felt quite intense right in advance. And she more than delivered. That's quite an impressive thing to do. Add to that the crowds. Because this time last year, whatever about the pressure of going into the race, trying to win it for a first time with Honeysuckle, like there was nobody there. Like it was, it was played out in practical silence. Uh, whereas this time, not only did she have the weight of expectation, but she had that expectation manifest itself with the very presence of people and the amount of people that were willing her on to win. And they were obviously there in their thousands to do that today. And she was a heavily back favorite, obviously. But still, like she mentioned after after the race as well, that she was you know given a hell of a ride by Epitant, uh, who you know more than halfway around looked like it was a viable contender to win the race. But she and was put all her faith in Honeysuckle. To, she like she's espoused the virtues of the horse pretty much instantly afterwards. She's one of these people who takes zero credit for what she does and says it's all on on Honeysuckle. And together they make a hell of a combo and, and victorious again today. Yeah, like McCormick and Barry, dream <laughs> combination. So, all about you, Joe. Yes, you're the Honeysuckle in this dynamic. Well, indeed, Honeysuckle has now retained the champion hurdle, which elevates her instantly into very rarefied company. We are going to talk to John Duggan around half past seven. He managed to grab Rachel Blackmore when she was running from one race to another. And we'll play that interview as well. So John's going to join us around half past seven. Blackmore was saying, I mean, it wasn't the perfect race, even though it was a thoroughly dominant finish. She wasn't happy early on. She felt she'd gone wider than she might have liked and kept her cool, kept her composure and came through eventually as everybody expected her to do. So that's Cheltenham day one we also have a Champions League evening upon us Adrian are you enjoying the no away goals situation where are not you not really this? no 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 like uh, <clears throat> look a time will tell on it my I just have enjoyed the absolute randomness of the ruling and you just get used to it over the years don't you it's mm. like uh, just a thing that exists and it takes a while to you're nearly reminding yourself oh that doesn't that doesn't really matter anymore mm. um, and it's like it is a it is a random uh, rule that 
gets brought in at some point or another and you get used to it and it does actually make unlike a lot of things in football at the minute it does make a little bit of sense I think um, and it's just an extra wrinkle of interest in a game that now it's just it removes an extra layer of drama doesn't it that's probably the, the way to yes. put it I don't know if it's fundamentally changing the dynamic of those ties I mean I guess it must be in a way but um, it, it just from that pure drama point of view it does remove a little bit alright touch less volatile a goal could completely transform things now. A touch less so. But we may get more penalty shootouts, so maybe it goes in roundabouts. Mm. Uh, before we get into the news round, I'm curious as well for your thoughts, analysis, views on the GPA, GEA situation. We had Tom Parsons on last night. It seems like really GPA have been taken aback at what's happened here. And I'm struggling to see the GEA angle in particular. And we haven't heard very much from them, Joe. I think that's probably part of the part of the difficulty here. I was reading an interesting piece with Carol Kane earlier on in the Irish News about it as well, and he was kind of he was very critical of the GPA actually, mm. and um, he largely his points were centered around a couple of different areas. Um, there was one stat that he quoted that had come from the GPA themselves that thirty percent of players now are students, which in itself was kind of an interesting thing because. Um, there must be another cohort who are in careers that lend themselves, like teaching, for example, to have been off for the summer months um, for the teams to whom that actually means something. But uh, it was just that it was an interesting sort of side note on the whole thing. But yeah, he was uh, he, he, in, uh, early in the piece questioning the point of a media ban, which I could totally get on board with. I think it's, an, it's a pointless exercise. Who cares? Uh, he was saying about, like, you know, journalists, but after the game's gone, I mean, we don't have to stand on the side of a cold pitch now talking to players who aren't saying anything to us anyway. This is great. And actually, it wouldn't have been better to have had a bunch of players out moaning about what was going on. Would have been a far more, uh, far better use of their time. But his, over, his larger point was really about the bigger issue facing players now being burnout. Um, now, I mean, the GPA should be fighting their front, you would think, on on uh, fighting their argument on a few different fronts, and it doesn't need to be always just the burnout issue, but that it's got a bit sidetracked um, by this specific one. Like it does feel when you step back a little from it, a little from it, they're not the two sides of the debate here are not a million miles away from each other. Um, like it's not a fun; it doesn't feel like a fundamental um, shift in difference of opinion around it. Um, I know when he was talking to you last night, he was basically saying that he was talking about the unfairness of last year that actually it turned out that the GEA did bring in a good chunk of money and saying that, well, maybe we didn't need to have taken the hit that we took. Um, it just feels like this is all playing out. Like he, the, the strike card is getting bandied around left, right and centre. It just doesn't feel like um, the parties are that far apart that they need to be they should be keeping that card particularly and they've it's not a card they've tended to play over the last number of years since they've been um, tighter with the GEA, obviously. But you would think that on the face of it, a, a burnout issue, for example, would have been a far bigger issue for them to be playing that type of a card, card around. So I look at, I as I said, the thing that I can't quite get my head around is that they're not that, they've both, uh, sorry, the GEA have given a bit of ground, obviously, over the weekend and they're not that far away from each other. It seems... I don't know. I don't know why they can't just hammer out those last few inches. Yeah, I think the GPA feel the rug's been completely pulled from under them. So whether you think sixty-five cent on the mile and all the other expenses are too generous, that's fine. That's not actually the issue here. The issue is that in twenty nineteen, GA were happy, GPA were happy, and then COVID hit, and the GPA in good faith agreed to the GA request to 
curtail expenses because there were no gate receipts. On the understanding, and Tom Parsons said they had it in writing, that once COVID is behind us, we revert to 2019. And now here we are and the GA saying, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. So the facts and the figures and the negotiations for me are secondary. It's like a simple, we're breaking our word almost feeling on the GPA's part here. And Tom Parsons was also saying, we are more than happy to go down the line of capping sessions. We don't want our players flogged. Let's do it in a sports science based way and we'll have those negotiations. But first things first, you go back to the agreement we had in 2019, as you said you would. I find that pretty reasonable. I think they're banding about words like strike because it's such an egregious undercutting of their status. You know, I, I don't think they can afford actually to get into negotiations here because it makes them look very weak. No, look, I, I totally agree on the, uh, like, players should not be out of pocket to, to play anyway. Um, Cara Kane was also making a point about the club players, particularly those that get towards the All-Ireland final stage and how out of pocket they are as well. And that doesn't ever seem to come up in these negotiations. But look, at that that is a fair point. They shouldn't be out of pocket over it. And I would love to hear from the GA on it. Like, mm. what is the rationale? I think, like, it, it's hard to, it, on the face of it, we're only hearing from one side so you tend to sort of lean over in that direction because there's an absence of information coming from anywhere else. But as I said, like just the main thing for me is like I just don't know why the main people in the GEA and Tom Parsons aren't getting a room. It's not like, you know, the size of the gulf that there's been with the, between those two parties, particularly in the past, and they've managed to find a way past it. I know that often that's been done, played out publicly as well. This doesn't feel like a... Like, I know what you're saying, obviously, in, uh, they feel that the rug has been pulled under them. But I just feel that that notwithstanding, like, something they'll need to deal with with the GEA, I assume, going forward. On this specific issue, they're not that far apart, really. So, um, you know, and how many more sessions, like you're, when we talk about burnout, how, how many more sessions? Are they talking about unlimited sessions? You know, um, how many more are, are they looking for? And I know that maybe some of that depends on what county you're from and how far deep into the championship you go. But... Um, I, I think the next natural step is that we would hear from the GA and hear that side of the argument. Yeah. There's a tweet in, Richie, from yeah. Colin McCarthy saying, did Richie just give a Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, hey, yo, nod? Best tribute I can manage, Joe. Best tribute I can manage. Yeah. Uh, 63, uh, he died uh, at the age of there last night. And uh, yeah, very, very tough life. Um, mostly self-inflicted, unfortunately. But yeah, right. uh, another, another one gone too soon. I remember Razor Ramon. I obviously I wasn't too familiar with Scott Hall. Uh, tough life. Yeah, he initially like his 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 upbringing was based around being an army kid. So he's an army brat. So bounced around different um, bases and stuff in the U.S. and over to Germany briefly for a time as well. But he was involved in a, a homicide in 1983, where basically he was involved in an attack with another gentleman, and the gentleman had a gun on him, and Hall managed to grab the gun, turn it on this particular individual and shot and dead uh, was never convicted of it but there is a sense that the post-traumatic stress of that incident contributed to his later addiction issues which wouldn't be unusual and his addiction issues were many and manifold and, and unfortunately played a huge part it would seem in his, his ultimate early demise right okay am i wrong to remember a toothpick oh yeah toothpick yeah. flung at the camera the absolute quintessence of cool yeah yeah, 63, very young. So we'll press on with the news round. It is, as ever, brought to you by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. You're giving us the Chatham Day One 
run through yeah. for Adrian Barry in particular who was of course <laughs> far too busy to be watching too all busy. afternoon yeah got me with the days when Ivan Yates used to come in and just have everything on in the uh, Good in, point. In, in the office in there I think we probably need him back uh, Rachel Blackmore as you mentioned described Honeysuckle as a once in a lifetime horse together they claimed back to back Cheltenham champion hurdles beating the Aidan Coleman mount of Epitant into second this afternoon and as we mentioned John Duggan catching up with the primaries including winning trainer Henry de Bromhead Unbelievable, John. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much. Uh, she's just an incredible mare. Obviously, Rachel's amazing. And yeah, delighted for everyone. Delighted for Honey to be able to get that reception. Obviously, we missed out on that last year. And also to have Kenny and his family here, Caroline and all my family and Peter Maloney and his, you know, it's, it's, and Rachel's, everybody involved. It's incredible. The reception you got just showed how special she is. Never been beaten. And in the race, she just picked up and did it. Yeah, she's just got such a will to win. You know, she's the ultimate pro, like the jockey on top of her. You know, they're just a lethal combination. They sure are. So we're going to hear from Rachel Blackmore in a bit more detail later on. John Duggan's going to join us. Up until that point, it was very much a UK show as opposed to an Irish show. Yeah, it was indeed. Nicky Henderson and jockey Nico De Moinville combined for a double on the opening day. Marie's Rock was an 18-1 to winner of the Mirror's Hurdle and together they helped joint favourite Constitution Hill win the Supreme Novices Hurdle. Elsewhere, 5-2 to favourite Edward Stone won the Arkle. The Padre Roach trained Brazil, claimed the Boodle's Juvenile Handicap. 10-1 to shot Corat Rambler took the ultimate handicap chase. And Willie Mullins finally got on the boards with the last race of the evening, Statler winning the National Hunt Chase. That win came from a field of only six, a trend that is concerning Mullins this week. Gentlemen will have to look into that. You know, maybe the, the good horses are scaring away the other horses. I don't know, but it's something that... Probably the, you know, there were very few runners today altogether and that seems to be a trend during the week so that'll have to be looked at I think. We'll ask John Duggan about this. Is he talking there about handicapping or other incentives to get other other horses involved, Rich? Or did he expand on that? He didn't expand on it but I think it is a combination of factors namely that there are a lot of favourites in the races that are pretty heavy favourites and so uh, some uh, trainers etc might just be a little bit put off at the expense etc etc that would go along and winning a ra- or entering a race essentially yeah. that they would feel they have no hope in and to have these bloated fields that aren't really contenders at all and just there for the experience um, and it is an expensive business uh, to, to run and operate a racehorse it sure is so Ralph Rangnick has looked at Paul Pogba and said don't quite trust you this evening no, uh, Manchester United looking to book a Champions League quarter-final spot tonight. They resume their last 16 tie with Atletico Madrid at Old Trafford level at a goal apiece. So United have opted to leave Pogba on the bench. David De Gea starts in goal. They've got a back four of Diogo Dalot, Rafael Varane, Harry Maguire and Alex Telles. Scott McTominay and Freddie are in midfield with Jadon Sancho, Bruno Fernandes and Anthony Alanga in behind Cristiano Ronaldo. For Atletico, Jan Oblak starts in goal. Then we have Renan Lodi, Genildo, Stefan Savic, Jose Jimenez and Marcos Llorente. Hector Herrera, Rodrigo de Paul and Colgate are in midfield and up front it's the tandem of Antoine Griezmann and Joao Felix. Today's other tie tonight, so the tie is also level with Ajax playing Benfica after a 2-2 draw in Lisbon three weeks ago. Both games kicking off at 8pm. One all from the first leg. What do you think, Adrian? I think that that team that he's picked is probably about as good as he can. Like, who knows a pod, but he's a bit in the uh, Ronaldo um, sort of thing in that, like, obviously, uh, Ronaldo's yesterday's man until the weekend and suddenly he's uh, all back in favour again. I um, Just the whole United thing, Joe, I can't get my head around. <laughs> so, I don't know what your thoughts on it are, but I am struggling to make any sense of this Rangnick, Rangnick stuff particularly. 
Um, I don't know. You know will, I, will we ever see the likes of it again where a club with the magnitude of that uh, basically are, you know, you, t- the people who are pro Ranić tell you that he's there as an auditor to uh, make recommendations to the next person that comes in. I just don't I can't square that off with why he needs to be the manager. Like It's not as if he couldn't come in and do all that work about process and structures and players and attitudes. Um, around the club like he can still have all the access he needs he's an employee he's an employee here he's a director of football he's an advisor he's a counselor whatever i just don't understand why all that needs to match up nobody really knew what we what we were getting with ralph ranyak when he came into the league i think most people had probably never heard of the guy before he's obviously got a long history in football but at that leap to a club like that but people thought oh, okay he's been mentioned in the same breath as clap and this sort of thing and uh you know, he's the godfather of Klopp or whatever it was, and you think, okay, well, maybe there's something about him. It, the, just the longer it goes on, I mean, Gary Neville, who I had a huge time for, like, shouting down Maker Richards the other the other week that I just thought was making some really valid points about the entire thing. Um, I, can you make sense of it? it, it no, I'm scratching my head over it. Disastrous appointment. I mean, to bring in the godfather of Gegen Pressing to that team spoke of football hierarchy that don't know the first thing about football. You know, it's like... Mm. Ralph, yeah. go in there and implement, oh wait, you can't implement a single one of your key ideas. Just try and do your best, even though you've no experience in this situation. And we've taken away yeah. your, you know, your, your, your great MO, you know, your, your USP. And it's been pretty much disastrous, really. I mean, before the Spurs game, it was, it was very grim. They had an easy fixture list. It hasn't gone well. The performances haven't been good. Then Manchester City exposed what the previous month had hinted at. And then Spurs was Spurs, but like you take Ronaldo's going to have some good days for sure. Like he's not, he's not gone yet. He's still in the grey. It's not black or white. So he had a good day. But even Conte said afterwards, if they didn't have Ronaldo, we probably would have won that game. Like it wasn't an impressive yeah. performance. So I think they're very vulnerable tonight. I think tonight could be a uh, big trouble for them. Like Griezmann, João Felix up front, Simeone will have them organised. They won't be easy to break down. You would fancy any team of quality to score at least one against Manchester United, and needless to say, be a fairly grumpy crowd if they drop out of the Champions League tonight because that's their season effectively over. They're not going to make fourth, I think, increasingly. I, I, even the grumpy crowd aspect, I remember going to see United when Van Hal was in charge and there was a grumpy crowd that night. It was a Champions League game and at least that meant something because the crowd, there was a sense that like if there was enough upset and enough rancour and the football yeah. was so dire, obviously, that they could actually influence the club on some level. Like I don't even know what it means anymore to be a grumpy United crowd but you, the other thing is with United Joe as we've seen over the last few weeks they could easily go out and win tonight if they if they show up and if they turn up and if your man obviously scores a hat full of goals as well um, that sort of helps like who even knows what, with him in terms of uh, like it looked as if he was sort of a approaching a point where he was going to play a bit part for United up to the rest of the season uh, having gone off to Portugal the other week and then just sort of go off and find another club but then again obviously he scores a hat-trick at the weekend and and away we go mm. who knows yeah who knows is the word so that kicks off at 8 we'll keep you updated across the evening now the Chelsea situation has been bubbling away all day Richie something about a bus away tickets I don't know the whole yeah. thing is uh, <clears throat> tiresome at this stage 
Yeah, today was pretty mortifying from a Chelsea perspective. They've withdrawn their request for Saturday's FA Cup quarterfinal against Middlesbrough to be played behind closed doors. They'd previously said the game should go ahead without fans in the interest of sporting integrity because they're not allowed to sell any away tickets. Middlesbrough chairman Steve Gibson labelled the request as pathetic and said the words sporting integrity and Chelsea don't belong in the same sentence. The club says it's still working with the FA and the Premier League to find a solution to enable supporters to go to games while ensuring sanctions are respected. They say uh, on a tangential tip Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich has been sanctioned by the European Union today due to what they call his long and close ties to the Russian president Vladimir Putin the billionaire has already had his assets frozen in the UK and the EU are able to seize his assets as well as freeze them he's apparently arrived back in Moscow yeah so in effect here Chelsea said well if our fans can't go to the game Middlesbrough fans shouldn't be allowed to go to the game they seem to be operating on the assumption Adrian that like that this is a fair world and that they uh, warrant a fair world just now I did uh, the, the Steve, the Steve Gibson uh, quotes today, Richie. Was that who you said it was? I read some of them earlier on, and they are really cutting. You don't hear that that type of language used between clubs uh, that that often. And obviously, they're an easy target at the minute. And uh, everything he said was also right, of course. But yeah, definitely the idea of Chelsea saying that they there should be a fairness about this is off the charts. But like. Um, I don't know. You, the Premier League, and obviously we're talking about an FA Cup game, and the Premier League are involved in the in the conversations around that as well, somewhere along the line. But they really have landed themselves. I, it's impossible to know how they've landed themselves in this situation. Like, I, uh, I think any observers of what had gone on around the ownership of clubs, including Chelsea, over the last years, would have been scratching their head about it. But it is the sort of thing up to this point that we'd all be able to put our fingers in our ears over and just carry on. But, uh, I mean, there's talk now, I see, of a Saudi media company possibly in one of the uh, potential buyers of Chelsea. Like, how do they say no to that if they've said yes to Newcastle? I mean, maybe there's some sort of anti-competitive thing, but, like, it's... Um, well, I, like, th- I, thankfully, yeah. in this instance, the UK government are overseeing the sale, and I think they'll have no problem saying no. Yeah. Okay. And then, but like, yeah. So then, like the Premier League accepting that there's a higher standard brought to bear by the UK government in terms of ownership doesn't reflect particularly well on them. Like, I mean, there are big question marks to ask of the people who run the Premier League now. There really are. Like, I haven't heard a huge amount of people um, talk about that just yet. But there have been some really bad decisions made and like the fit and proper persons test, like I, I, I could understand that it must be hard, right? When you sit down and you have a new owner coming in and you have mm. to do due diligence. And I would get that. It's not, um, again, it's not black and white. There's a grey area to it. But there's also a bunch of people and states and organisations around which you would just run a million miles, right? Like it's, yeah. and that, and some of them have clearly bought into the bought into the Premier League and how that's been allowed to happen. They have walked English football into this scenario. It's hard to see a way out of it. Mm. No, it's true. It's true. And like even with the Saudi takeover at Newcastle, there was huge public pressure on them not to allow this go through. Amnesty International, uh, various high profile organisations and people saying this is a dreadful idea, various journalists saying this should not happen and they opened the doors all the same. So it's not even like, oh, look, 2003, it was difficult to know, oligarchs, Putin wasn't quite Putin. It was a different time. Mm. Like they're still at it in 2021. So... You know, 2022, uh, hard to keep track of the years. So, yeah, they've major questions to answer. Look, I think this is, this is now going to herald a, an independent football regulator. What that achieves, I don't know. Rachel Blackmore and Honeysuckle, what a combination. Absolutely dominating the champion hurdle just because we've seen it before doesn't make it any less amazing. Is a texture. Yes, very true. 
Always remember Razor Ramon giving his gold chains to a ref before his matches and saying, if something happens to this, then something's going to happen to you. Classic. <laughs> is a texter. It's a pretty good line. And United really should have sold Pogba in January. Hard to understand what good it's done to have him hanging around like a bad smell for the final few months when everyone knows he's gone in the summer. That's true. And what's worse, they have a 500 grand a week contract on the table. They're begging him to sign it. And he's, he's like refusing to. So. Well, the auditor now, yeah. Joe, you see, the auditor knows. He's seen it up close. The auditor knows that there's, you know, he can make these decisions. He'd never have known that unless he was also managing the club, of course. Well, indeed, indeed. So uh, I guess what are we into here? The Russia section, Rich? Yeah, uh, this is going to become a regular theme. Uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport has denied a Russian football union request for a stay on UEFA sanctions. Spartak Moscow were expelled from the Europa League following the invasion of Ukraine, with Orbi Leipzig receiving a bye to the quarterfinals. CAS denied the Russian union a suspension of that punishment until proceedings are formally concluded. They say they'll announce a decision on a stay for the FIFA sanctions later this week, with Poland yet to receive, or set to receive, pardon me, a bye to the World Cup playoff finals, while the UK sports minister says Russian players may need to publicly distance themselves from Vladimir Putin in order to compete at Wimbledon. Russians are allowed to compete as neutrals under ATP and WTA tour rules at the moment. However, Grand Slam organisers are believed to be concerned regarding the optics of Russians and indeed Belarusians playing at their tournaments while the invasion is ongoing. Addressing the invasion, men's world number one Daniel Medvedev said recently the wishy-washy statement of I want peace everywhere. But Nigel Huddleston told the House of Commons Select Committee today that they'll need assurances that players do not support Putin before allowing them into the UK. Hmm. And do they uh, tweet this? Do they walk onto centre court God and knows. declare fealty to... Uh, Ukraine. I mean, why? So, uh, did, any specifics on what they expect all these sports people to do? I think they'll be superseded by what the the Grand Slams have to say. I think Roland Garros will get cold feet, and Wimbledon will get cold feet if this drags on into the summer. And you essentially, I thought it up earlier. I think there's like four of the men's top thirty are Russian. There's two rather prominent Belarusians in the women's top ten, uh, Irina Savalenka and Victoria Azarenka, and then you've got uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova is in there as well in the top twenty. She's Russian. They won't want them there. Um, they, 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 it'll be ugly to see them, especially if we're into month four or five of wow. this horrible thing going on. And yeah. you've got Russians and, and Belarusians whose countries are supporting it, uh, clearly enough, uh, competing, albeit as neutrals. But like, th- there's no neutrality in, in, in those terms. Mm-hmm. They're either Russian or they're not, or Belarusian or they're not. And I can see Roland Garros and the French Tennis Union and the All England Club putting pressure on both tours to say, listen, we're going to have to say enough is enough here and not allow them in. I don't think it will come to public disavowals of Putin or anybody else. Mm. It's a lot to ask them to yeah. to do that. Um, months four and five don't bear thinking about right now. Before we finish, Europe have picked their Ryder Cup captain for next year. They have, yeah. Henrik Stenson is going to become the first Swede to captain the European Ryder Cup team. He's been chosen as Podrick Harrington's successor for next year's tournament in Rome. His opposite number, of course, Zach Johnson. Stenson's made five appearances in the competition as a player and will use all of that experience, he says, next year. Yeah, I think you just pick up little little bits and pieces here and there. Uh, whether it's from a, from a winning winning team or a losing team, you always try and strive to become better and build on the on the things that have been been going well and, and working well for us. And and uh, despite losing losing this uh, this last edition, we we got a very strong record over the last couple of decades. And uh, yeah, we. We're just going to try and build on 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 that and um, and come back uh, even stronger in in Rome. There's a text in already saying Stenson versus Zach Johnson. How boring! Uh, let's give the Iceman some credit here. 
Stenson. Let's give the Iceman some credit. Uh, he's actually pretty witty. He won't be as uh, dull as feared. Although I would say Luke Donald's feeling a bit sore because the word was, or the reporting was, I should say, maybe uh, any time over the last couple of months, was that Stenson was certainly open to conversations with the Saudi Breakaway League. And now that that's gone up in smoke, he's manoeuvred back into Ryder Cup captain mm. territory, whereas Luke Donald was always very much European tour man. So I suspect Stenson may be asked about that over the next while. Uh, what bearing it has on the actual event, Adrian? Absolutely not. But it's Stenson no, against Zach Johnson. Dry wit, Joe, is that? Yeah. He'd be a prankster. Yeah. He'd be a prankster. He'd be he'd oh. be into that kind of stuff. That'd be a sense of humour as well. It's the yeah. right environment for it. What um is he does the Ryder Cup captain I see that he signs a contract with the European or the European Ryder Cup in a way that I, none of the players would. Does he get paid for it? Oh, that's a good question. I mean it is worth millions unofficially. Yeah. With regard oh, yeah, yeah, in terms of gigs, corporate like world it. and gigs and all that kind of stuff. Does he get paid officially? That's a good question. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Whatever it is, it's not. It's not Saudi money. But that. Uh, yeah, I think that it was handy for him that that uh, ship had sailed, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that because they, they would usually announce it a touch earlier, and it seemed like they were holding off on announcing it whilst the Saudi thing was ongoing. So they obviously yeah. had some concerns because, like, Poulter was thinking of going Westwood. Stenson. How gone is the Saudi thing, by the way? I've probably gotten uh, off on a tangent here because Greg Norman was obviously digging his heels in saying this is far from over. Like, yeah. I seem pretty sure it's dead. Sort of like the European Super League. Like, of course it should be dead, but I mean, would you be surprised if it you know, raises <laughs> yeah. its head again? Uh, I, I, it feels pretty dead right now because Phil made it pretty toxic with his comments. So a lot of players would be wary of being anywhere near it in the short term. But money is money is money, Richie, as we've learned. Yeah. If we've learned nothing else, we've learned about money. This is absolutely true. Uh, fellas, thank you very much. Cheers. Nice one.